Amen. Please be seated. On the island of Patmos, the Apostle John in about 95 AD as an old man, 60 years after Christ died, and by the way, 600 years after what we're going to see today in Daniel, and hundreds and hundreds of miles away, writes this. Then I turned and I see the voice of the one speaking to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire, and his feet were burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters, and in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Like Revelation was written by John for, our, for the church today, Daniel was written for a people in exile, trying to figure out what in the world God was doing. But it was written to wake them and to wake us from our slumber. Believe it or not, we're 10 weeks into this series that we're calling Already Finished But Not Yet Done. And we are going to be back in the book of Daniel again today. And in this series, we've seen that, that really God's story is a story of two kingdoms that are under conflict. One is God's kingdom, ruled by Christ. And the other is this worldly, fleshly kingdom that is ruled by Satan. And in Revelation 1, we saw the full revelation of Christ. And then in Revelation 2 and 3, we saw that, that the message that Christ has to us today, we are what he is doing in the world today, his church his message to the churches, and he is intensely interested in what we're doing today. And then we took a break from Revelation, we went to Daniel 1 through 4, and we looked at how God's people had turned lukewarm, and so he took them to the world, and Babylon came and got them. And then in, um, we took a break from that, and Sean taught us about a glimpse of glory in Revelation 4. And then last week I was looking at Daniel 5 and 6 and these two great scenes of how do we live humbly by keeping God first in our lives. Now in Daniel 7, there's a, new, there's a whole new part of Daniel. Daniel was not written chronologically. In fact, we're going to go back in time about 14 years from where we were last week, even though we're moving forward in the book. Because Daniel's written in two sections. Chapters 1 through 6 are a history. There are six great events. Chapters 7 through 12 are six chapters that talk about six great prophecies. And we're going to look at the first one today. It was a long time ago that I taught on the first message. It was on June 9th. It's on the website. I would, I, if you were not here for that message, I'd invite you, I'd ask you to listen to it. Because it'll explain a lot about what is prophecy. What is apocalyptic literature? All that word means is God, it's an unveiling. It's God pulling back the, the reality of what we, where we live. We live in this physical world, but, but among us right now, there is a spiritual part of that. And apocalyptic literature, like we're going to look at today, is God pulling back that veil and giving us a glimpse of what really is real, of all of reality. 
So I hope you're excited for that today. Prophecy is simply history before it happens. If, you had to, if somebody said, well, what is prophecy? Prophecy is his story, his story, but it's history before it happens. So today we're going to look at the point of prophecy, and that's today's message, is the point of prophecy. And today's question is, so what's the point in all of this? Like, what is the point of all of this anyway? And when I say all, I mean all. I mean world history, I mean current events, and I mean your life, because they're all interconnected. So that's the question we're going to look at today. So open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7. Hopefully you're familiar with where that is now. It's in your old, if you open up your Bibles, it'll fall open probably to Psalms or Proverbs in the middle. Start going to the right till you get past the big books of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You're going to get to Daniel. If you get to a bunch of names you can't pronounce, they've probably gone too far. We're going to pick it up in Daniel chapter 7 and look at our first point. In a world being led to hell. And yes, I'm using that word on purpose because it is a place. It's not just, it's not a bad word. Look at Daniel 7, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, Belshazzar king of Babylon. So you remember where, where we started in chapter 5 last week was the very, literally the last day of Belshazzar's reign. Hand writes on the wall, he freaks out, Persians come in, take over, and he's dead that night. So this is 14 years earlier in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. We've gone back in time. I see a dream and a vision and in his mind as he lay on his bed. So this is Daniel going, man, I'm going to share with you some of these, in the next six chapters, some of these stories that I've seen. He says, and then I wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. And Daniel said, I was looking in my vision by the night and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring in the great sea I'm sorry, by night, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring by the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea, different from one another. Now, four is often a number that is referenced for um, earthly things. We have four seasons, there are four directions, north, south, east, west. So when he says four, that's his way of saying, like, all the world. Now we're going to see this vision that he gets, which is a picture, if you remember a few weeks ago, Back in chapter 2, when Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he sees the statue that's made of the head of gold and the feet that are all kind of crumbly clay and iron, he is now going to see that same vision from the spiritual end. What, it, what Nebuchadnezzar saw was the physical part. This is a physical kingdom. This is what this one's going to be in bronze. This one's going to be in iron. This one's going to be a mix. Now what Daniel's seeing is what that looks like spiritually. So we'll pick it up in verse 4. It says, The first was like a lion, and he had the wings of an eagle, and he kept looking until his wings were plucked, and, and, it, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on his two feet like a man. And human mind, or that word could actually be translated in Hebrew, heart, the, a human heart was also given to him. Who is verse 4 describing? Who was the head of the statue in chapter 2? Nebuchadnezzar. Remember what happened in Nebuchadnezzar? God humbled him, plucked his wings until, he, until his heart changed. And in the end, he confesses God is the God of all. Now look at verse 5. And behold, another beast, the second one, resembling a bear, and it was raised up on its side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its feet, between its teeth. And thus they said to it, Arise, devour much meat. 
That is the Persian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire. The reason one side is bigger than the other is because the, the, the Medes were just sort of like happy to come along for the ride for this great Persian Empire. Cyrus was the king. Um, if you missed last week, you're probably a little confused. You can catch up by listening online. But that, that was the Persian Empire that came in and took over Babylon. The three ribs are probably, they didn't just take over Babylon, they took over a kingdom called Lydia, and they took over Egypt. Now look at verse 6. It says, After this I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of the bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Most people believe that what Daniel saw there is one of the greatest rulers the world has ever known. Alexander the, Alexander the who? Alexander the Great. This, he was a freak. He was, and this is extra, this is like you can look at secular history and see these things happen. This is 300 years after Daniel wrote this. God is telling him this one is going to come who's like a leopard. He is Alexander the Great. And in chapter 8, it actually outlines his life in great detail. And you'll read about that in the coming weeks as we go through the rest of Daniel. But Alexander the Great, by the time he was 21 years old, conquered the Persian Empire and had taken over most of the known world. Guys, most of you at 21 shouldn't be driving. He has taken over. There's, there's history written about him about how he could break horses, like train horses, that no one else could ride. His family, as a 10-year-old, said to him, you are going to rule the world someday. Now, it wasn't like someday you'll be president, son. Like, they, there was just this, and it turns out, guess what? It was God. Because guess, by the time he's 32, he has taken over all of the known world. In fact, his reputation was so strong that, that when, when they would just, it got to a place where when, when they would get near an area to conquer, the people would just say, you're, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Here's, what, here's why God did that. Guess what? Because he was so passionate about the Greek influence in the world, he demanded that everybody learn Greek. And, th and 300 years later, Jesus comes on the scene. The world is speaking something called Koine Greek. It's what your New Testament is written in. It's what I'm suffering through right now in school. And, and it is what allowed the gospel to go through. When Paul started going to take the gospel to the world in Acts, it's what allowed the gospel to spread rapidly. God calls out Alexander the Great 300 years before he's born and says, you are going to take over the world so that you can teach these people to speak a language that they can understand the gospel. Amen. It's crazy. No, it's God. Look at verse 7. After this, I kept looking in the night vision... Oh, by the way, I wanted to stop right there, sorry. He takes over the world by 32. Everybody's learning Greek. The next year, guess what happens to him? He dies. 33 years old. God's done. It's like, you fulfilled your purpose, thank you. And he ends up dying of a cold, of all things. Verse 7, after this I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth, and it devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder of its feet, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. This is describing the Roman Empire, which is, which is if you remember back when we were looking at the Nebuchadnezzar's dream, it's the world system of government. They had set up a system of government that had never been seen before. 
The Greeks toyed with it. The Romans perfected it. They were also known for being brutal. They are the ones that put Jesus on the cross because they invented that. Right? They were good. At, they, they were not like Alexander the Great that would show people grace. They would just come in and crush you. And that's what he sees here. They are the world system, and we are still being ruled by that system even today. But now look at verse 8. While I was contemplating the horn, so he sees these ten horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. And behold, this horn possessed eyes, like eyes of a man, and a mouth uttering great boasts. Guys, we're going to see that same vision in Revelation multiple times, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time talking about what the ten horns are and etc. because we'll miss the whole point of this. But guys, here's, here's who verse 8 is. It is the Antichrist. It is the one who is going to rise up in the world system of government and rule the world. Now, we can get into what are the ten people, what's going on in the EU, or are the ten, the ten horns in, in the EU, and who's he pulling up, and is, and is Putin the Antichrist, and, 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 guys, and we'll miss the point. The point is, God has been calling out this history that, that before it happened, that's what prophecy is, and it's coming true. And if all of the stuff that's happened so far in this book has come true, and it has, then all of the things that are going to happen are going to come true too. The truth is, this verse 8, this person, the Antichrist, is just being raised up by the ruler of this world. Who is the ruler of this world? The earthly world. Satan. Right? It is the ruler. It is, it is what Paul tells us to, to warns us about in Ephesians. He tells us that, that our struggle here is not against flesh and blood, but against powers, against the spiritual forces of God darkness against the heavenly forces of wickedness that's who our battles against he tells us in in second corinthians 10 though we walk in the flesh though we walk we're, we're human beings we don't war according to the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of the fortresses that he satan and the, and his antichrist are going to put up guys if all you're doing is fighting your flesh or worse, fighting your spouse, you're fighting the wrong foe. Because Jesus, or because the Antichrist is coming. Jesus told us that in Matthew 24. He says this, Therefore, listen to how he quotes Daniel, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Prophecy is, so Daniel is, is, is seeing the world through spiritual eyes. The enemy is leading the world to hell. And here's the problem. He's leading the church into complacency. Guys, the, the church, professing Christians, have become, have become what God's people were in Daniel's time. This lukewarm, let's just play the game. I want you to stop and listen to these words. If you want to close your eyes while I read, you can. But guys, here's the thing. The enemy is getting us to drink the Kool-Aid instead of the living water. It's all about here and now. It's all about comfort. Listen to these words out of Revelation 13. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. This is speaking of Satan and his Antichrist. And they worshipped the dragon, that's Satan, because he gave his authority to the beasts, 
and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who, who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words, doesn't that sound like what we just read in Daniel, and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months they were given to him. And we'll be looking at this later down the road, about five weeks from now. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who are in heaven. And it was also given to him, now get this, to make war with the saints, that's the church, and to overcome them. If you remember my first message, we talked about, in, in the first message in the series back in June 9th, we talked about how Babylon and, and this, this Jezebel ruler is just, is, is what struck me there, and I went to Revelation 18, and what struck me was, there's this, there's, Jesus shows up and he says, come out of her, my people. He's talking to the church. He's saying, come out of the world. What has happened to you? It says, all authority was given to him. For every tribe and tongue and nation was given to him, and all who dwell on the earth. Everyone, I get this, here's the good news, everyone whose name was not written from the foundation of the world in the Lamb's book of life. So what's the point of all of this anyway? Guys, we can get to a place where we look and we go, you know, wow, if this is how it all turns out, then what's the point? The point is we're supposed to, we are kingdom people called to proclaim kingdom glory for kingdom good. Right? That's the point. The reason he tells us this news isn't to freak us out or to get us to find out what the details are. It's to tell us, live for the right reason. Live for the truth of Revelation 12, which says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of, the test of, of their testimony. Is your testimony overcoming the one who is the ruler of this world? So what's the point of it all anyway? In a world being led to hell, in a world, frankly, that's more concerned about in the environment, this is the church too, people, politics, health and fitness, entertainment. Most of us know way more about our sports team than we do about our Jesus. Most of us can have conversation after conversation about the latest movies that are coming out, about the latest diet that I'm doing, about, but we can't have a conversation about the Word of God. Yeah, I get that I'm being me. <laughs> but here it is. Guys, here's the point of prophecy. In a world being led to hell, God's Word reveals the truth of God's will. That's the point of prophecy. Look how similar this next part of Daniel is to what we've already seen and what we will continue to see in Revelation. I'm going to pick it up in, Revelation, or in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. It says, I kept looking until thrones were set up. Now get this, guys. This is, this is the point. If you've tuned me out, tune back in. Here's the good news. I kept looking until, the, until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and his hair of his head like pure wool. Isn't that interesting based on what I read when I started the message? His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. We see that same thing in places like 2, Corinthians, or 2 Kings 6 and in Ezekiel chapter 1. And thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. And the court sat and the book was opened. And then I kept looking because of the sound of the boast, boastful words which the horn was speaking. So now the Antichrist 
is tooting his little horn in front of this almighty God. And it says, and I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. That's the lake of fire that's gonna, that we're going to read about in the, at the end of Revelation. And then in verse 12, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. And that could be the thousand-year millennial reign, and we'll get there in Revelation, depending on what your eschatology is. But, but, but here's a question that just flows out of this. So if God is this powerful, if all God has to do is say, you know what, little horn, you're out of here. Why doesn't he? Like, what's the deal, God? What's with all, I mean, isn't that one of the common things? Like, if God is this powerful, if God is this good, if God is this loving, what's with evil? What's with, what's with all of this pain that's going on? Because it is, to, it is to reveal the glory of his grace. That's what the Bible says. It may not make sense to us, like Abby, and she didn't see my nose, but what Abby was sharing about, I'm not God, I've got to get out of my own head. I love when the Spirit does stuff like that. It was like she was reading my journal. Right? And, and I'm going, okay, so, so why, why doesn't God just fix evil? Well, there's all, that's, a, that, that's like a whole sermon series. In fact, people do sermon series on why is there evil and bad in the world and suffering and pain and, and hurricanes and earthquakes and everything else. The bottom line is it's called sin. That's ultimately, that he is going to fix it all. It's called restoration. When it is done, it will all be gone. But until then, we live in this world that is, as I've already been saying, is ruled by the enemy. But guys, God has purpose and plan in that. The enemy is just a tool to him. There is no sweet without sour. There is no light without dark. There is no good without evil. Guys, if this world was just all white, everything was white, not even shades of white. First of all, you wouldn't see anything. And second of all, how would you ever explain to anybody what white was? That's why God allowed this to happen. That's what the Bible says. Guys, we love passages like there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. We even love later on in the chapter, Romans 8.28. For God works all things together for good for those who are called according to he loves, called according to his purpose. Man, we're all over that. We will make bumper stickers out of that. I will post that on my Facebook wall. But that's only true. Those things are only true if verses 29 and 30 and, and the rest of the chapter and the rest of the book is true, which is those who he foreknew, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. Isn't it interesting that he says those he justified? Justified just means that he, has, he sees us as sinless, just as if I'd never sinned. It is finished. He will, those he justified, he will glorify. It is done. That's the, diff that, that's the gospel. But guys, all of that can only happen if God is really in control. And at the end of the gospel message that, that, that Paul takes 11 chapters to write, here's what he says. He says what Abby said. Oh, the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who in the world has known the mind of the Lord? Who can figure God out? Who's ever given him anything or any advice that he didn't already know? And here's why. The end of that chapter, Romans 11, 37, 38, something like that. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Guys, I'm just going to let you in a little secret that I struggle with still. Struggle with a lot for the first 20 years, five years of my life. You're not him. You're not God. And that is 
our struggle. Okay, so here's a better question. Why did God allow the evil of the cross? You know, we sit and worry about our own suffering. Why would God allow his son to go to the cross? Because there is no glorious resurrection without the darkness of Friday. There is no victory over sin without the punishment that had to be endured. It's, it's the, the first thing I said, it's the scars on his hands that say, that scream to us, I love you this much. That's why he allowed it. But what about, wait a minute, what about my life? What about in Daniel's life? Daniel was a good guy. You know, Daniel's one of the only guys, Daniel, Joseph, depending on how you look at how his relationship with his brothers was, and Jesus are the only three characters in Scripture where it appears they never sinned. We know they did, but it appears they never sinned. Why would God put him through all this stuff? He's all alone. He's taken from his family as a youth. He's thrown into a den of lions. What's the deal? Because God was working in Daniel so he could work through Daniel. And he wants to do the same thing to you, guys. God wants to work in you so he can work through you. But too many of us have made a life of God's working in, God's still working on me. You know, Doug, I'm not really ready to lead that life group yet, or, or I'm not really ready to disciple anybody because, because God's just not done with me. He's never done. You're never going to get there. Wherever you think there is, it ain't there. Until we go there, until he brings there here, there's no done. So just get over yourself and start doing it. You want God to, to work in your life, like to work Start working for him. Start work, let, let him work through you and watch what he does in you. That's the difference. So now we look and we see the Son of Man is presented. Look at verses 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night vision and behold, with the, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. You know that was Jesus' favorite word, our, um, title for himself? I mean, he called himself other things as well, but he uses that phrase, Son of Man, he uses that phrase pointing back to this passage in Daniel he uses it 14 times in the Gospel of Mark alone. Most of them after, G after Peter makes this confession that he is the Christ. He loved to call on himself. Why? Because he knew that he was the healer of the human condition. That Jesus was the healer of the human condition. He says, and he was presented before him to give him dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations of many, and men of every tribe and language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. I love the passage that Wendy put on the chalkboard out front. Job, in the middle of just, if you remember the book of Job or you were here when we taught through it a few summers ago, his life, you think your life's hard. It's nothing. And he says, but this I know, that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand upon the earth. So what's the point of it all anyway? In a world being led to hell, God's word reveals the truth of his will and reminds us of who's in charge. That's the point of prophecy. It's to remind us of who's in charge. Guys, this is the question of life. Who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of it? Because I, I, for the first half of my 50 years, this was my struggle. My struggle wasn't faith. My, I, I didn't have a faith issue. I didn't have a belief issue. I didn't need to know more about this. Or I, guys, I, just, I didn't want to surrender my life. 
I didn't want to relinquish control. What I had was a control issue. If you're sitting here today and you don't know the Lord, and some of you don't, or you're sitting here today and, and, you're not, and, you, and, you, and you think you know the Lord or you do know the Lord, I don't know your heart, but you're going, man, you know what? I, I'm not ready for this. It's, you, you, don't have a, you don't have a faith issue. You have a control issue. Because there's a ton of stuff in here that I don't understand in this book. In the, what we're just reading right now. But there is more stuff in here that I do understand and I'm told to do than I'll ever get to the end of. So don't let what you don't know and understand because you're a prideful, arrogant jerk. And I say that because that's who I was and still fight. So I'm talking to me. Doug, don't let the fact that you're a prideful, arrogant jerk get in the way of doing what you understand to do. Yeah, well, what's the deal with this horn? And what's the, uh, Just love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yeah, but what about, you know, I want to try to figure out how, you know, is he going to come back here? Is he going to come back here? Is he, just obey your parents as unto the Lord. There's just some really simple stuff in here that I stink at. Verses 15 through 25. In the interest of time, I'm going to kind of skip through that. He's, he is, Daniel really wants to know more. He skips over all the other stuff. He wants to get to this, what's this deal with the Antichrist? What's going on here? Look at verse 23. It says, Thus he said, the fourth beast will be, will be a fourth kingdom on the earth that will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. Now look, at, I'll keep reading the last those verses 24 and 25. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten horns will arise. That's the Roman, that's the world system. And another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and he will subdue the three kings. So he's, so he's filling Daniel in on what this, a little more about this Antichrist. He does more of that in chapter 8. 25. He will speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the Highest One, and he will intend to make alterations in times and in the law. Guys, I mean, like, how do we not, like, like, is that not like a headline? Like, I mean, is verse 25 not a headline? Out of, I mean, seriously. I don't watch the news, but I'm guessing that's what they're talking about, just not from this perspective. It says, and they will be given into, the, into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Guys, we're going to see all of that again in Revelation. But remember, what, what Daniel's getting is a glimpse of what the reality is. That, that God is pulling back the veil and saying to Daniel, Daniel, this is what's really going on in the world. Here's the truth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you're taking notes, 4, 3, and 4. The God of this world, the God I just read, Satan, has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel that is Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded, has darkened the eyes of the unbeliever. Because our job is to, is to become better lights so we can see those eyes open. That's why he leaves us here. That's why he didn't rapture Daniel. He could have just taken him. He could have yanked him out of the lion's den right into heaven. Did it to Enoch. He's like, I'm not done yet, Daniel. I'm not done. I got stuff for you to do, man. You're going to shine my light. He could do the same thing to you. 
Now look at verse 26. This is awesome news, by the way. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people. I'm sorry, let me, let me back up to verse 26. But the court will sit for judgment. So there's that court again. It says, the court will sit for judgment and his dominion, that's God's court, by the way, will be taken away, that's Satan, annihilated and destroyed forever. Then, that, guys, do you see, that's an awesome promise, right? He's saying Satan's power is limited. It's limited right now in what he can do, and it's limited for time. There will come a point where he will say, where God will say to Satan, I'm done with you, into the lake of fire for all eternity. Then it says, then the sovereignty and dominion of the greatness of, the, of all the kingdoms under the whole or heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one, that's the church. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. And then here's, here's how Daniel ends it. At this point, the revelation ended. And as for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming to me and my face grew pale but I kept this matter to myself. And that actually would be better translated, I kept this matter close to my heart. Guys, what's the point? The point is, who's in charge of your life? This is how Daniel was able to withstand the lion's den. This is how Daniel was able to stand living in a foreign world where, where any minute he could be killed because he had been given a glimpse of the glory of God. Prophecy is meant to encourage us that God is still in control. He is on his throne. His story is being told. The only question is what part are we playing in it? Let me just talk from personal experience again, real quick. This was my problem. As, a, as an even more sarcastic jerk than I am now. Because I didn't want to relinquish control to God. I thought... I had to understand everything in order to believe anything. I thought, okay, even when, even when I started like having people about, you know, kind of try to lead me in this book, I thought, I have to be able to understand everything in here before I'm going to buy into this program. Here's the truth about any program you're going to buy into, that's, that's, and especially this one that's this in-depth. If you have to understand everything in order to believe anything, you will never believe in anything but yourself. If you have to understand everything before you'll believe anything, the only thing you will ever believe in is yourself. And guys, if you haven't noticed, that's getting to be a scarier and scarier proposition. Because you know what? What I believe about myself can change overnight now. Don't wait until you've got it all figured out. What Abby shared is so true. Right? We gotta get out of our own heads. As the music team comes up and the lights go down, I just want to ask a very real question. Because this is, I'm, guys, I, I, I'm, I'm human too. I get this. I'm not just walking out of here never feeling fear. That's what I prayed at the start. So here's a question. If prophecy, if prophecy, what we just read, is the revelation of God meant to encourage us, but it's a little scary. Like, it's kind of scary. And, and the stuff we're going to see moving forward, this is, it, it gets better. And I use that in air quotes on purpose. How in the world is this a hopeful message? 
How is, it, how is it a hopeful, uplifting message if it feels scary? Here's how. What it ought to do is drive us to him. Guys, the more you know him, the, the harder you press into him, the stronger you lean into him, the less scary it gets. Why? Because you know him. Right? Because even in the midst of your struggles and your trials and your fears and your tribulation and, and all the things that are going on in the world and the headline ticker that's ticking across your, your TV and all those things, you know the one who rules it all. He holds it in the palm of his hands. And it doesn't make any sense sometimes to me. But I'm not him and neither are you. So just get over yourself. Stop making excuses and come to the altar. Bring your junk. Bring your junk to the foot of the cross. Not because he's going to make your life better or all the trials are going to go away, but because his presence will be manifested in your life. Ultimately, the gift is Him. The gift is Christ. And it is an indescribable gift that, that is without compromise and completely priceless. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the truth that You give us glimpses in the, in the middle of a world that, that seemed to be falling apart. You give Daniel this glimpse of your glory. The Ancient of Days walks up and sits down. And the Son of Man comes up and takes his place. And Lord, we look forward to the day that that becomes our reality forever. But until then, we don't, we don't need to have our own separate experience of that. We can live through the inspired word of God that you just gave us. That we get to see the glimpse of that glory. Lord, I want to pray right now specifically for those in this room that have not, that have control issues. I'm just going to leave it there. that struggle to just let go. Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to make sense of all of it because we'll never get to the, if you are a God that we could make sense of, you're not a God worthy of worship. So Lord, I want to pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the only name that can change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, that you would move on those hearts right now, that for the first time in their life, they would feel something in their heart because they see something that they've never seen before. And that is the beauty and the majesty and the glory of a God in heaven who loves them so much that he gave us this indescribable gift of Jesus Christ. Every person in this room, every person we will come into contact with today, this week, every one of us has an eternity. The only question is, 
who's leading us and where are we heading? So Lord, lead us home. Just lead us home for your glory in Jesus' name.